The world is changing fast, but you can learn it at a slower pace. Special English. You're listening to Special English. I'm Tony Reed in Beijing. Here's the news. The 2,500-year-old Grand Canal now has water again in all of its sections that dried out thanks to a yearly water supplementation program that started on March 1st to rejuvenate the UNESCO World Heritage Site. For the second time in the past century, water can be seen throughout the 1,794-kilometer canal, which connects Beijing and Hangzhou, capital of Zhejiang province. This also happened in April last year, when the program was launched. According to the Ministry of Water Resources, over 191 million cubic meters of water had been diverted into the section of the canal north of the Yellow River from six sources. Almost half the supplementation was contributed by reclaimed water and stored flood water. The eastern route of the South to North Water Diversion Project, which channels water from the Yangtze River Basin to the country's drought-prone north, is the second largest contributor to the supplementation, with over 42 million cubic meters of water. According to the Ministry, the project plans to add 465 million cubic meters of water into the canal this year, which is roughly enough to meet 11% of the annual water consumption demand in Beijing, a city of over 20 million people. Thanks to the implementation, 66,000 hectares of farmland in Hebei province and Tianjin will not be irrigated by water exploited from deep underground this year. About 208 million cubic meters of irrigation water is needed for these farmlands annually. The Grand Canal served as a significant transportation artery in ancient China. Due to historical evolution, human activity, and climate change, some sections of the canal began to dry up in the first half of the 20th century. The ministry noted significant environmental improvement in water bodies along the northern part of the Grand Canal since water supplementation to the canal started last year. All areas within 5 kilometers of the canal sections 
that were supplemented with water last year saw their groundwater levels rise by an average of 1.33 meters. According to the Ministry of Water Resources, the Grand Canal is just one of 40 water bodies that will be supplemented with water in North China this year. In total, almost 2.8 billion cubic meters of water will be diverted into these water bodies. This is Special English. U.S. car maker Tesla has announced that it will build a new mega factory in Shanghai, which will be dedicated to manufacturing the company's energy storage product, Megapack. The new plant is scheduled to break ground in the third quarter of the year and start production in the second quarter of 2024. Tesla said the factory will initially produce 10,000 megapack units every year, equal to approximately 40 gigawatt hours of energy storage. The products will be sold worldwide. Megapack is a powerful battery that provides energy storage and support, helping to stabilize the grid and prevent outages. The company's new plant will be located in the Lingang Special Pilot Free Trade Zone in Shanghai. Zhuang Mudi, Deputy Secretary General of the Shanghai Municipal Government said the project will help drive the development of the new energy storage industry as well as the green and low-carbon transformation of Shanghai. In January 2019, Tesla broke ground on its Shanghai Gigafactory becoming the first to benefit from a new policy allowing foreign car makers to establish wholly owned subsidiaries in China. It is Tesla's first gigafactory outside the United States, and the plant delivered 710,000 vehicles in 2022 an increase of 48% from 2021. It has become Tesla's primary vehicle export hub, with electric cars selling well in the Asia-Pacific, Europe, and other regions. Thanks to the excellent business environment in Shanghai and the Lingang Special Area, the Tesla Shanghai Gigafactory has an industrial chain localization rate of more than 95%. That's according to Tao Lin, vice president of Tesla.
You're listening to Special English. I'm Tony Reed in Beijing. Airbus, the European aircraft manufacturer, and its Chinese partners have signed an agreement to expand its A320 family final assembly capacity with a second line at its site in North China's Tianjin municipality. The deal was inked between Airbus and Tianjin Free Trade Zone Investment Company, an aviation industry corporation of China. Airbus said the new assembly line will contribute to Airbus's goal of producing 75 A320 family aircraft per month by 2026 throughout its global production network. At present, Airbus has four assembly facilities worldwide for its A320 family. Located in Toulouse in France, Hamburg in Germany, Mobile in the U.S., and Tianjin in China, its Asia Final Assembly Line in Tianjin, known as FAL Tianjin, was put into operation in 2008 and has so far assembled more than 600. A320 family aircraft. By the end of March 2023, the number of the Airbus fleet in service in the Chinese mainland reached more than 2,100. You're listening to Special English. I'm Tony Reed in Beijing. Nine Chinese basketball legends were enshrined in the China Basketball Hall of Fame, becoming the first class to receive the honor. They are Wang Zhizhi, Hu Weidong, Liu Yudong, and Mu Tiezhu of the men's event. Zheng Haixia, Song Xiaobo. And Song Shuedi of the women's event, as well as two coaches. Before Wang Zhizhi appeared, China's big men could be divided into two categories: the quick, undersized ones who could shoot, and the slow, full-size ones who were solid defenders. Wang became the revolutionary big man to Chinese basketball, as a 2.13 meter, 115 kilogram giant. He is athletic enough to drive from outside to charge the rim and has a shooting range that covers nearly everywhere within the three-point line. Meanwhile. He is a skillful low-block attacker and a solid defender who made the moving Great Wall with Yao Ming and Ba Tur for the Chinese national team. Another China Basketball Hall of Famer, 
Mu Tieju was 2.28 meters tall, taller than most of the players of his time. He was a solid defender and rebounder, but with very rough offensive skills. Moreover, to many people's surprise, Mu was an underestimated pass in the high post. One of Mu's biggest career highlights was in the Asian Games in Bangkok, Thailand in 1978. As the defensive spine of the Chinese national team, he made key contributions for China to win the first Asian title. In her Olympic debut in 1984, In Los Angeles, 17 year old Zheng Haixia helped China secure the women's basketball bronze medal while shooting 59.6% from the field. Eight years later, though burdened by a series of injuries, Zheng took the team further by bringing the silver medal home. From Barcelona. You're listening to Special English. I'm Tony Reed in Beijing. I was born on the 17th of November. Delve into a world of words with Books and Beyond, a podcast made especially for audiobook lovers. I came into the world as the youngest of five children. I wondered children. what Her Majesty would be like. Fie upon she... you, limpid one. Why have you taken... Immerse yourself in gripping stories and timeless classics from the comfort of your own personal space. Sun Zi underlined three points on the context game initiative. There was initiative. no better wine, and not to mention... The Whether you're a bookworm or a casual listener, Our carefully curated selection of audiobooks will transport you to new worlds and stir your imagination. Subscribe to Books and Beyond and start your audiobook adventure now on radio.cgtn.com or your favorite podcast app. You're listening to Special English. I'm Tony Reed in Beijing. The Third China International Consumer Products Expo has wrapped up in Haiko, the capital city of the southernmost island province of Hainan. Themed on Share Open Opportunities, Co Create a Better Life, the expo aims to boost consumption recovery. And upgrading to provide opportunities for companies worldwide to share the vast Chinese market. This year's exhibition has attracted over 3,300 brands, featuring green, healthy, smart, and fashion consumption. It looks to boost consumer confidence. And help fully demonstrate the achievements of the Hainan Free Trade Port. The event is the largest exhibition of consumer products in the Asia Pacific region. 
This is Special English. With a sun hat made of solar panels, a tea picking robot weaves through rows of renowned Longjing tea bushes in Hangzhou's West Lake scenic spot, East China's Zhejiang Province, with its agile manipulators and caterpillar wheels. The 550 kilogram robot picker. Is a godsend for local tea planters this season. As April is the major harvest period for premium spring tea, and the local tea gardens are quite understaffed these days. Longjing Tea, also known as West Lake Dragonwell Tea, is a variety of green tea. As one of China's ten most famous teas, it's characterized by its green color, delicate aroma, mellow taste, and beautiful shape. Jia Jiangming, an associate professor for the School of Mechanical Engineering of Zhejiang SciTech University, is the developer of the robot. He said the beautiful forms of a bud with one leaf or a bud with two leaves are often acknowledged as quality tea with certain recognition, and the picking work of such tea leaves has relied largely on manual work, very difficult to be replaced by machinery. However. Most of the tea pickers in the production areas of Longjing Tea are all in their sixties. Few are in their fifties, and hardly any young people willing to land jobs in the industry. Jia said, "If so, the Longjing Tea industry may face great embarrassment when there remains nobody." To help pick the leaves, that's why this team started to develop tea picking robots as early as 2019. Generally speaking, one bud and one leaf of the early spring tea is about two centimeters long, and the petiole is merely three to five meters long. Thus, demanding high operation accuracy of the mechanical arms. If cut at the wrong angle, the robot will damage the tea branch or lead to incomplete bud and leaf forms. These damaged tea leaves cannot be adopted, only causing unpleasant waste. Jia's team introduced the cognition model of convolutional neural networks in deep learning, enabling the robot to study many tree bud and leaf image data. Using binocular stereo vision, the robot can position where the target bud and leaf are, cut them off precisely. 
then suck the leaves into its basket via its negative pressure pipette. Earlier this year, Jia's robot helper developed into its fifth generation, lifting the accuracy of bud and leaf recognition to 86% and improving the picking efficiency to 1.5 seconds per tea leaf. Compared with the third generation robot launched last year, the upgraded robot's overall tea picking success rate rose from 40% to 60%. According to Chun Jian Neng, another researcher of the team, the new generation robot can do as well as a human picker. He added that though the robot is still in its trial operation, they plan to improve its practicability, thus allowing the tea industry to enjoy tangible benefits brought by modern mechanization in the coming future. You're listening to Special English. I'm Tony Reed in Beijing. That's the end of this edition of Special English. To recap, I'm going to read one of the news items again at normal speed. Please listen carefully. The 2,500-year-old Grand Canyon now has water again in all of its sections that had dried out thanks to a yearly water supplementation program that started on March 1st to rejuvenate the UNESCO World Heritage Site. For the second time in the past century, water can be seen throughout the 1,794-kilometer canal which connects Beijing and Hangzhou, capital of Zhejiang province. This also happened in April last year when the program was launched. According to the Ministry of Water Resources, over 191 million cubic meters of water had been diverted into the section of the canal north of the Yellow River from six sources. Almost half of the supplementation was contributed by reclaimed water and stored flood water. The eastern route to the south-to-north water diversion project, which channels water from the Yangtze River Basin to the country's drought-prone north, is the second-largest contributor to the supplementation, with over 42 million cubic meters of water. According to the ministry, the project plans to add 465 million cubic meters of water into the canal this year, which is roughly enough to meet 11% of the annual water consumption demand in Beijing, a city of over 20 million people. Thanks to the implementation, 66,000 hectares of farmland in Hebei province and Tianjin will not be irrigated by water exploited from deep underground this year. About 208 million cubic meters of irrigation water is needed for these farmlands annually. The Grand Canal served as a significant transportation artery in ancient China. Due to historical evolution, human activity, and climate change, some sections of the canal began to dry up in the first half of the 20th century. The ministry noted significant environmental improvement in water bodies along the northern part of the Grand Canal since water supplementation to the canal started last year. All areas within 5 kilometers of the canal sections that were supplemented with water last year saw their groundwater levels rise by an average of 1.33 meters. 
According to the Ministry of Water Resources, the Grand Canal is just one of 40 water bodies that will be supplemented with water in North China this year. In total, almost 2.8 billion cubic meters of water will be diverted into these water bodies. This is the end of today's program. I'm Tony Reed in Beijing, and I hope you'll join us every day to learn English at a slower pace. <laughs>